Fumble in the bus conductor's custard, you furious Ewans. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. If you're a brand new listener, go back and listen to some earlier episodes. There's hundreds to choose from and it'll give you a better idea of what this podcast is. There's lots of fun stuff, lots of hot takes. If you're not a brand new listener, what's the crack? How are you getting on? I hope you've been well. In Ireland, we've just entered a brand new lockdown for the next six weeks. Fuck it, man. We're used to it at this stage. We're used to it. Embrace the chaos. Embrace the chaos of what's outside of your control and worry about what's inside of your control. And you can't control lockdown. Um, just a tiny plug before I move forward. I haven't done a gig. I haven't done a gig in a long time, obviously, because of the pandemic. I won't do a gig for a long time. I'm kind of used to it now. I don't really mind, you know. But I, for the crack, I got offered an online podcast festival. Right, so it's like it's like an online streaming podcast. Which I decided to take because, just to see what it's like. Just to see, is this something I can do? Is this something I enjoy? So I'm doing one gig at the Unmuted Podcast Festival. Thursday, 22nd of October, which is tomorrow. If you're listening to this today, Wednesday. And... I'm interviewing Fern Brady, who's a comedian from Scotland. And it's it's a live podcast, but it's streamed. It's going to be streamed online live at 9pm, Thursday 22nd of October. So if you want a ticket for that, go to unmutepodcastfestival.com. Look for Blind Boy and come along if you're interested in it. Fuck, what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? There's no live gigs. I'm not doing a live gig. There's no fucking live gigs. I thought, this is how naive I am. Last June, right, which was in in the middle of the pandemic, I was booking, I thought I'd be in Australia and New Zealand and Asia right now doing a tour. But I won't be gigging for another year, you know, at a minimum. So fuck it. I'm going to do a live online podcast festival and see what the crack is. And I reckon it'll be fun. Come along if you want to and get a ticket. Alright? No harm if you don't want to. So this week, I I won't say I have a hot take. Rather, what I have is a, a, a collection of thoughts. A collection of things that I've been considering all week. That exist in the territory of a hot take. And I want to try and find the hot take with you here. One thing I'm continually fascinated with is, and you'll know from listening to previous podcasts, the the impact of society and culture on how we behave, in, in ways that we behave and ways that we produce art. Um, Something that popped into my head this week. I remember back in like 2005, 2006, and I'd be a young going to nightclubs in Limerick and this was the height of the Celtic Tiger in Ireland okay it was a time of unprecedented economic strength in Ireland Ireland being a traditionally poor country and I grew up during the Celtic Tiger so I grew up during economic success and the thing about the Celtic Tiger was that it was there was a great naivety to it. 
when Ireland suddenly became wealthy and people could have like when I was in fucking school there was lads in 60 or with cars like teenagers with fucking cars and lots of them you know and, and all they needed for cars was to have a weekend job well paid weekend jobs but we didn't think the money was ever going to go away so everybody in the country went really silly but in this in these in this tacky expression of this silliness people had to have cars that were if it was 2006 people had to have 2006 cars people were buying excessive amounts of decking for their back gardens bouncy castles whenever their child had a fucking a communion and fucking helicopters like normal people had bouncy castles and boot cut jeans and Ronan Keating CDs but then there was like all these millionaires there was a lot of millionaires in Ireland and they'd fucking helicopters like there was a student complex near the college that I was going to and the owner used to land on the roof in his helicopter once a week to collect his money and this was normal nightclubs like Limerick nightclubs on a Saturday not even a special Saturday just a Saturday would have giant chocolate fountains with strawberries and they'd hand out free strawberries covered in chocolate and there'd be fire dancers breathing fire and then like I remember like it was just a Saturday just a regular Saturday and the nightclub flew in the DJ Dead Mouse on a private fucking jet so he could play Limerick on a Saturday no special occasion just obscene amounts of money and the belief that the money will never ever ever disappear and then this got me thinking about just the, the insanity of that climate. Because the thing is, p- people didn't... I didn't know what a fucking recession was. My brothers had told me about, oh, wait, there was a recession in the 80s. Oh, people used to emigrate. I didn't, I didn't know that in the time of the Celtic Tiger. No one thought it was going to end. So then I started thinking, what were we drinking in the nightclubs in 2006? And then it all hit me. As just as an example of, of if the world around you is this ostentatious, irrational expression of never-ending wealth, if Dead Mouse is playing and then you're going with your friends in college to the fucking to where they live in their apartment and the owner is landing his helicopter on the roof in fucking Limerick, how then does this express itself? in something as simple as as the drink that you choose in the nightclub and i remember in in what we were drinking everyone was drinking this fucking drink right called goldschläger which was a cinnamon liqueur right and people were doing shots of this cinnamon liqueur and it was clear but the thing is with this drink it had actual gold in it so it was this really hot shot with gold gold flakes floating in it and I remember being being younger and asking like why the fuck why are people drinking this and then someone would say to me oh man that, that's Goldschläger if you you drink that because it has gold flakes in it and what happens is the gold flakes in the drink they slit your throat on the inside. The gold flakes slit your throat and they make tiny cuts and then the alcohol absorbs into your into your body quicker. A 
and you get really wrecked. So order a Goldschläger. So I'd go up and order a Goldschläger and everyone else in the pub was or in, in the nightclub was doing it too. And just everyone in Limerick is essentially drinking these drinks to slit their own throats with gold and knowingly doing it not only knowingly doing it but wanting to do it I'm, I'm drinking gold to slit my own throat on the inside to get as drunk as possible and the, the naivety, naivety of it was too it was cinnamon it was a cinnamon drink so when you drank it it burned your throat but it burned your throat because it's fucking cinnamon cinnamon is a burny substance but no, no, not for the people of Limerick. The, the, my, the people of Limerick were going, my throat is burning, therefore it must be slitting from gold. And now I'm pissed, really drunk. And, like the internet was a thing, but people didn't, you didn't, you, you didn't use Google like that in 2006. It took a while for our brains to start asking the internet questions. You could, in 2006, you couldn't just type into the internet, is Goldschlager really slitting my throat? You wouldn't really get an answer. The search engines weren't intelligent like that. You, firstly, you know, smartphones didn't exist, so you'd have to remember it, then think of it the next day, type it into Google, which was like a year old, and search engines weren't intelligent, so you might never find the answer. So you just accepted it. And everyone accepted it. We're slitting our own throats with gold. And it's grand. It's the Celtic Tiger. There's Dead Mouse. There's a helicopter. Bizarre. And and the other the thing too. The lads. The lads who would have said. Drink this drink. It slits your throat. They were the same ones. They were usually rugby lads. And they were the same lads. Who, like a year previously in school. Would they used to fucking before they played a rugby match? They they used to get rollies like tobacco rollies, and they'd get paracetamol and they'd crumble the paracetamol into the rolly, like hash, and smoke paracetamol cigarettes, so that they wouldn't feel pain on the field. And then a year later, they're telling everybody to drink gold to slit their own fucking throat. And and you know what they used to brag about? They the next day you'd meet them. And they'd be bragging about... They'd say that they took a shit and there was gold in their shit. The glitter shits, it was called. Which there probably was. Because there's actual gold in Goldschlager. And if you had enough pints of it, you're going to end up with gold in your stomach and you can't digest it. So you, you had... Young men... Going around going, I was drinking gold last night, man. I slipped my throat. Slip my throat with some gold. I got mouldy. Walk up. There was gold in my shit. Now I'm going to smoke paracetamol. And this was normal. That's, that's the trout of no crack. But the trout of no crack. The trout of no crack is based on those. Gold drinking paracetamol smokers. From the nightclubs of my late teens. And that there is the. Intense. Irrational. Ostentatious. Bizarre ejaculation of wealth that was the Celtic Tiger. And two years later, there's a fucking recession, and the gold, the gold drinkers headed down to Australia, and 
They're not drinking gold now. They're not smoking paracetamol. They're down in Australia. Um, they're Australians now. They're in their 30s and they're not coming back. And instead of bragging about drinking gold, they're on Facebook bragging about having solar panels on their roof in Sydney and selling the electricity back to the Australian government. Our, my, my friend Ernest, who was fond of drinking gold in 2006, is in parts now. And what he brags about on Facebook is having solar panels on his roof, using them, using the, the excess energy to mine Bitcoin in his garage on a Bitcoin server and then using that Bitcoin for online poker. I mean, how about that for a trajectory? Smoking paracetamol to drinking gold to shitting gold to now playing poker with excess sunlight. Shout out to Ernest in part. But it's just, it's a fascinating thought I had. It fascinated me that how, how appropriate is it that the drink of choice during a, an irrational expression of wealth is gold. And it wasn't planned, it just happened that way. I'm unsure how the I'm unsure how that train of thought is kind of leading me down the rabbit hole of this week's podcast because this week's podcast isn't about Limerick nightclubs in 2006 or Bitcoin or, or drinking gold. I suppose what fascinates me about it is it's, it's how the conditions of our environment would express themselves in, in behaviour, in how we behave and how we consume. What I've been thinking about and what I want to explore this week is kind of 12th, 13th century Europe and the strange, the relationship with dancing, dancing and death in Europe from about 1200 to 1500. I'm I'm noticing this, when I look through the history this strange pattern that that's that I want to explore as as an expression of it's human it's strange human behavior and what are the the conditions of society that led to dance and death in that medieval period to the point that I want to investigate the phenomenon of entire towns of people dancing themselves to death in medieval Europe. Pandemics of dancing. And I want to explore the artwork that went alongside it. Now, I'm not a historian. You know, well, I'm not a historian and I've never claimed to be a historian. I'm an artist and I'm an artist on an academic level. I've done fucking years and years of... of training in art and when you train to be a professional artist at third level or at master's level research is a huge part of your artistic process that can be researching researching culture, society sociology, researching history so when I look at history and speak about history I speak about it from the lens of of the artist so from, from me when I look at history through the artist's lens, I'm not necessarily looking for 
a tr- not, I won't say truthful. I'm not looking for the real basic exploration of history. I'm looking for the really interesting bits. I'm looking for the most interesting, entertaining, brain-tickling interpretation of history, which is still rooted in facts, but the hot take. I'm looking for the hot take. Where's the bit about history where I get to creatively intervene and interpret history in a way that is creatively exciting? So that's what I want to do this week. So in art history, depictions of death, it's called Memento Mori, um, which I, I think that I think that's just Memento, I think means like a reminder and Mori is like Mart, like death. So it's like a reminder of death. And it's always been present in art, usually represented by just simply a skeleton. And this is universal with all cultures. A skeleton represents death, right? Fairly obvious. But in the late Middle Ages, which is... It's like 1250 to the 1500s, the late Middle Ages, something unique is present in visual art and in stories around death. Death is, is, is depicted repeatedly as a dancing skeleton. And not only a dancing skeleton, it's... it's the late Middle Ages in particular, death is portrayed as a, a dancing skeleton leading often rich people, not just the peasantry, not the poor, but it's depicted as a skeleton dancing with a pope or a priest or a noble person. And it's to remind, I suppose, the wealthy of that death is coming. And death will dance you to the grave. Now the thing is with the late medieval period. And one thing that makes me wonder. You know why why the fuck is death. The skeleton death dancing with rich people. In the depictions. You had the black death. The black death was. The worst pandemic in human history. Like coronavirus. Coronavirus is nothing. Like the, compared to the Black Death, the Black Death, they reckon it killed around somewhere between a hundred and two hundred million people in like twenty years. I think it was was it twenty years? About around twenty years, it, it killed that many people, and it was caused by the bubonic plague, not a particularly pleasant disease. Um, it caused the person to kind of break out in boils and then eventually for parts of the body to just rot away. So people at the later stages of, of plague would, would have resembled zombies or skeletons because their faces were falling off. And people didn't understand germ theory. People didn't know what germs were. People didn't know what bacteria were. And the rich probably thought, because they, they thought that pestilence and disease and these things were... were things that happened to poor people and if you had money you could possibly avoid some of it but the plague was killing everybody including the clergy including kings it's a fucking disease doesn't give a shit if somebody is a, is, a, is a pope or a peasant doesn't care it's a disease so everybody was dying so I'm guessing you know the, the, the fact that so many of these depictions of 
death with noble people was a kind of a, a, a humble reminder that whatever the fuck this is, it doesn't care about who you are, it's taking you. And as well, of course, look, art is created by patrons. Patrons have money. All right, so art, the art that survived was rarely, rarely created for the lay person, for the peasant. It would have been directed at the people who could afford art, which are rich people. So naturally, the depictions of death are going to speak to rich people rather than poor people in the late Middle Ages. The plague was caused by... It, it, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's a disease of globalisation. It was a disease of early capitalism. Europe had established the, the Silk Road, which was a trade route between Europe and, and the east of China and India. And in China and India, they had black rats. And these black rats had fleas. And these fleas carried bubonic plague. And then the rats, via the Silk Road and humans, would find their way to Europe. Then the fleas would jump off these black rats, bite humans. Then the plague managed to transfer across the human fleas. And fleas and rats were what were causing this plague. It, what, it's not a virus. It's not like transmitted in the air. It was transmitted via fleas. And it was, it was a bacteria. And it would have been absolutely terrifying to the people at the time because it was ubiquitous and they didn't understand it. And the loss of... One third of the population of Europe died in like 10 or 20 years. It, it eradicated villages. It would have contributed greatly to a collective sense of, of stress a huge collective sense of stress and fear and uncertainty. Another thing which would have added to the great collective stress of the late medieval period was there was climate change. Now, not like human climate change as we have it now, the, the Anthropocene as we call it. There was natural climate change. There was, from about 900 to 1250 there was a thing called the medieval warm period where the climate was just warmer. Like the Vikings, for instance, would have thrived during the medieval warm period because they're from a colder climate around Norway. But the Vikings managed to settle in Greenland and even made it to parts of Canada, if not North America, around the year 1000. But they definitely had a settlement in Greenland. Now, Greenland is, is almost entirely fucking ice. And do you ever wonder, like, wh why the fuck is Greenland called Greenland if there's no green there, if it's just ice? Well, there's two theories. The first theory is that Eric the Red, the Viking who, who went to Greenland, went back to the Vikings in Norway and lied and said, I found this new plot of land and, and it's, it's really green or it's full of ground. And he was lying to people saying, come and settle here and was lying about the fact that it was full of ice. Or, some people say, it was during the medieval warm period and Greenland didn't have that much ice. But the medieval warm period ended around 1250 and after that, the beginnings of a, a mini ice age started. And that's where you see, like, the Vikings abandoned Greenland and it's been said it's because it got too fucking cold from and they died off. 
and they left by about 1400. But this cold period in Europe definitely became a thing around 1250 and it had huge stressful effects. In particular, it caused a famine in about thir- in the 1300s from 1315 to 1357. It caused this massive famine in Europe where there was crop failure and huge amounts of starvation. In 1315 there wasn't much of a summer. It rained and rained for the entire summer. That caused crops to fail because they weren't getting sun. Then any crops that they did harvest, they couldn't ripen them because they were getting damp from all the rain. And then another thing was like salt. Salt was a huge part of like, okay, if, if the fucking, the plants aren't grown, do you have any animals to eat? Salt was a huge part of preserving meat around 1315. But because there was so much rain, they couldn't use the sun to evaporate seawater and collect salt. So there was a salt shortage. So it resulted in this huge fucking lack of food and inflation of prices of food throughout Europe which created chaos and starvation and misery and death. And as we spoke in, in last week's podcast where I was speaking about conspiracy theories and how often throughout history conspiracy theories, they always tend to go through children disappearing. Well, during this huge European famine, the 1300s, cannibalism became a thing. People were eating each other. And one story that emerged was Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel is, is a, a German folk folk tale. We know it from the Brothers Grimm stories, which are like the 1800s, but they got all their fucking stories from folk tales. And Hansel and Gretel was a 13th century German folk tale about children starved of the hunger, disappearing off to find this house in the woods made of bread and all these lovely foods that don't exist and then a witch who was like a shape-shifting witch eats the children you know and Hansel and Gretel comes from that period comes from the period of that huge European famine which was brought on by the Ice Age after the warm period the Black Death happens about 30 or 40 years after that so you have and with the famine of course as well diseases go up you, you have a, an incredibly traumatised Europe with a massive collective sense of stress. You had a lot of revolts, peasant uprisings. There were civil wars. The Catholic Church like split in two. And I don't mean Protestantism, I'm talking late medieval period. The, the Catholic Church. Like the, the 1370s onwards, there was two popes. You know, there was two men claiming to be Pope that the church was split in two. And you can imagine the shit that would have fucking caused at a time when religion meant everything to everybody. And all throughout all of this, the visual symbol that's most representative, that that you see so much of with all different artists and depictions all around Europe, is death being depicted as a dancing skeleton. The most famous of these, I suppose, there was a, a painter and a woodcutter called Hans Holbein the Younger, German fella, and he had an entire series of woodcuts in the 1520s, which basically depicted 
everyday scenes, either a, a peasant in the field or a noble person being accompanied by a dancing skeleton. And one, one of the most uh, obvious ones, not in art, but in like, again, folk tales that associate dancing and death is the story of the, the Pied Piper of Hamelin, which we all know as a fucking story you learned when you were a kid. But that story, it has its roots in like the 1200s, the 1300s in Germany. as a folk tale. And it's basically, the story is, is that this piper, the town in Germany called Hamelin, which was overrun by rats. And this Pied Piper came in dressed in colourful clothes, who would play a tin whistle. And then the rats would follow the piper and leave town. But then when the piper came back the next day to ask the townspeople to pay him for getting rid of the rats, the people wouldn't pay him. So then he started playing his whistle and he let all the children out of town. And when you look at a story like that, historians look at that now and they go, you know, where are the real roots of that? There's the obvious one with bubonic plague, the plague and the rats and the Pied Piper removing the rats from the town. There's also a theory that during the famine, the Great Famine in Europe, that the children basically had to leave Germany, had to try and migrate east towards the likes of Poland or up towards Russia. And Pied Pipers were kind of like, if you think of the refugee crisis now, where you've got these gangs in Libya transporting migrants from North Africa across the Mediterranean, that a Pied Piper in the 13th century was like a person with brightly coloured clothes who would lead essentially European refugees east away from famine-torn Europe, young people and children who would leave town while the older people died. And that's what the Pied Piper meant. And that the, the Pied Piper, as well as being colourfully dressed, played an instrument and people would follow this person out of town as refugees and probably pay them towards somewhere that didn't have as bad a famine or there might be food. But there's one theory that I find really fucking interesting. Is that if you look at the understanding of medicine in the late medieval period... It wasn't like medicine now, as I mentioned earlier, where you understand bacteria, you understand viruses. They had a system of medicine known as the four humours that basically illnesses were caused by an imbalance of what were called humours in the body. There was blood, yellow bile, black bile and phlegm. And these were the four humours of the body in medieval medicine. So if a person had will say too much yellow bile, then this person was someone who was excessively angry or could fly off the handle, was seen to have had too much yellow bile. Then black bile, if you had too much black bile, then you might the person was sad or melancholic. Like literally, the word melancholic, the word can be traced to Middle English, meaning an excess of black bile. Right? So sad people or people who got cancer had an excess of black bile. The other humour was phlegm. People who were really like inactive or might have had injuries or or couldn't move 
were seen to have had an excess of phlegm. But then blood, blood, people who had an excess of blood were seen to be like friendly, outgoing, full of movement, full of movement and healthy, outwardly healthy people. So the understanding of medicine is that there were these four humours. So the symptoms of the plague, you know, it caused fever, it caused you to sweat, it caused pus to come out of your body. Under that interpretation of medicine, the plague was seen as a blood disease. Out of the four humours, the plague was a blood disease. And blood is associated with being outgoing, being friendly, being full of movement. So when you see these medieval depictions of death dancing, always looking at it today, you can kind of think death is is kind of... When I look at, at images of death dancing with a healthy person, I look at that as, as death being this cynical character that dances you to the grave. But maybe if you look at it through the lens of the medieval humours, that dancing was seen as a way to stave off the plague, that by engaging in something as life-giving as dancing, that what you're doing is you're protecting the blood humour of your body and protecting yourself from plague. And maybe that's what these depictions meant, that to keep death at bay you have to dance with death. You have to embrace death and dance to keep yourself healthy in the face of this irrational fucking bubonic plague. I'm going to do an ocarina pause now, but what I want, what I want to speak about and where I'm going with this is dancing itself became a pandemic. All right? Dancing, unexplainable, uncontrolled dancing had outbreaks and became a pandemic in the late medieval period and I want to discuss that but first we're going into a little uh, a little ocarina pause I don't have the ocarina oh I do I do we have the return of the ocarina this week after a hiatus of several weeks so I'm going to play the ocarina it's a little uh, Spanish flute so that when an advert comes in you're not startled by it As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nice low ocarina. So you would have heard an advert there for some bullshit. Um, support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page. If you're listening to this podcast and you're getting enjoyment from it, please consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. Um, Patreon.com forward slash The Blind Boy Podcast. This podcast is, is my sole source of income. I'm an artist. My industry has been ravaged. Can't do gigs. Can't really even sell books now. I was hoping to sell some books coming up to Christmas, but bookshops are closed because they're not considered essential. Um, TV's not being made. So this podcast is my sole source of income. Um, it's how I pay my bills. It's a huge amount of work to do. I fucking love doing it. But if you enjoy it, just consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. Also, by supporting the Patreon page, it keeps the podcast fully independent. I'm not beholden to any advertisers. I've got full editorial control. can speak about whatever I want. It places a lot of power in my hands in terms of the, the edit. So please consider becoming a patron. If you can't afford it, you don't have to. It's a model that's based on kindness and soundness. So all I'm looking for is the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That's all it is. If you listen to this and you'd say to yourself, I'd buy him a pint, then you can do it on Patreon. If you can't do it, don't worry. Someone else is paying for you. It's a kindness model. I'm happy. You're happy. But uh, please consider it. Like the podcast, share it. Recommend it to a friend, especially if you're not from Ireland. And catch me on Twitch three times a week. Alright, twitch.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Where I live stream three times a week and you can chat to me. And I play video games and I write music live. I won't be on this Thursday because I'm doing that podcast festival thing. So there you go. So back to the late medieval period. A strange cultural phenomenon that was happening is certain behaviours used to become infectious like a disease and I th- I think this is why like I started off I started off this podcast talking about being in nightclubs in Limerick with lads drinking gold you know in, in the face of an excessive economy you've got people drinking gold because they believe that it slits their throats or smoking paracetamol. I suppose that's what got me on this train of thought, but in 14th century France, there was a, a convent full of nuns, right? And one day, one of them just started to meow like a cat. And the cat, the cat would be very closely associated with the devil in 14th century Catholicism. But one nun started to meow like a cat. But then the other nuns began to meow as well. And they weren't like having crack. They they were meowing like cats uncontrollably until the fucking army had to be brought in. The army were brought in to basically assault the nuns 
to stop them meowing like cats. In 15th century Germany, another nunnery. One nun bit another nun. And then all the nuns started to bite all the other nuns until the entire convent of nuns were just biting each other. And then this would be so strange that news of the nuns biting each other would travel outside the convent and then when that news would reach other convents that convent would experience an epidemic of biting and it went from Germany it went to Holland it went to Rome and you had these Rome buildings full of nuns who are biting each other until they exhaust themselves biting to the point that they can't bite anymore and the idea of biting spreading like a disease but by far the most common kind of of these strange behavioural diseases in, in the late medieval period were plagues of dancing. Now these things are called mass psychogenic illnesses. It's like a, a stress response. It's, it's the rapid spread of illness and symptoms affecting members of a, a cohesive group originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation, loss or alteration of function whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding organic source. So that's a, that's, that's a quote about what a psychogenic illness is. But it's when behaviours spread like a disease it's not a disease, there's no bacteria, there's no virus. But the it, people don't have control over this. And deadly plagues of dancing are a huge feature of the late medieval period. And, okay, here's one example. So 1021 in Christmas Eve in Germany, 18 people just started dancing outside a church. And... Dancing like mad bastards. The priest couldn't perform mass. The priest told them to stop. They ignored him. And they started dancing together in a ring. Clapping. Jumping up and down. Shouting. Nobody could stop them. Then the priest sentenced them to a year of dancing as, as punishment. And they kept doing it. Until they all died. A year later. 1247. Again in Germany. In a town called Erfurt. Out of nowhere, 200 people started dancing on a bridge, right? They danced on the bridge until it collapsed and they all drowned. Now, 1374, that's when it starts to get really interesting. Because you're talking 20 years now after the Black Death. Remember the Black Death that got rid of a third of Europe's population. That This is also after that famine. You're talking about a lot of loss, a lot of collective stress, a lot of collective trauma. And in 1374, compulsive dancing became a fucking pandemic, right? It spread, it started in Germany, spread through uh, fucking the Netherlands, spread through France. And you had thousands and thousands of people dancing for days and weeks, unable to stop, right? And this... These, this, this wasn't pleasant like these people were screaming unable to stop until just dying dying from dancing now the greatest dancing pandemic of all 
and the one that we have most kind of representation of an evidence for 1518 in Strasbourg right um, it killed a lot of people uncontrollable dancing spread all across Europe right it was it, it, one report said that f- 15 people a day were dying from uncontrollable plagues of dancing now there's no fucking disease that's causing this no one's after catching an illness it's a behavioural pandemic and the reason I think that we have information about this one from 1518 um, around 1518 a type of so a type of art became very popular not known as genre painting genre painting was kind of a Dutch inspired pre-Baroque type of painting where the subject matter wasn't like religious it wasn't like painting things from the Bible artists started to paint regular normal people in their everyday activities so one artist in particular Peter Bruegel the Elder he has got sketches and drawings from the time of the dancing plague you can see people dancing themselves to death with other people propping them up and because genre painting was it it was a documentary painting painting goes through all these different styles in, in the middle ages you're either painting biblical scenes or scenes from classical antiquity, imagine things, or you have realism where you're painting literally the lives of the peasants. So because of this, lots of paintings and drawings and woodcuts exist of the dancing plague of 1518 in Strasbourg. Now, again, this wasn't people having crack. A dancing plague would happen and as soon as other people found out about it or or learned information, the dancing plague would then set off in their town or their city. And these people, they were screaming in pain. They were begging for mercy. Like they were definitely, they were dancing against their own will. Now, people say that like there's, there's a condition called ergotism where there's this it's a mould, right? So, w- w- like, remember I mentioned that you had this cold period. So, in the one of the things that contributed to the famine was this cold period, the Little Ice Age, which caused excessive amount of rain in the summer. Some people say that what happened was there's a mould that grows on rye and on wheat called ergo or ergot, and it's slightly hallucinogenic. And when people, if if the wheat and rye to make their bread was rotting and they were consuming a lot of this ergot, it would cause, it'd be like a bad trip on acid. And that can happen. And people have claimed that this was happening because people were essentially getting bad trips off this mould that grew on wheat. But it, it didn't, it, it didn't make sense. It That doesn't make sense. It was it, the pandemic was spreading by word of mouth, not necessarily by people eating mouldy fucking wheat. Do you know what I mean? And the other thing is, these dancers, they were having different states of consciousness. They were dancing against their will, and they were also dancing beyond what their regular physical endurance could do. They were da- they were dancing beyond. They were dancing themselves to death. 
So to, to, to engage in a physical activity until you actually die truly means that the person doesn't have control over their own behaviour as some type of strange mob hysteria. Now, me, I view it, I, I think it's it's a massive trauma response. That's what I think it is. You view it within the context of Europe's after losing a third of its population. You had people deeply believing in religion and now there's two fucking popes. 1518 in particular, and this is something I haven't seen other people bring up, but if you think of 1518, what happened in 1492? The Portuguese went and quote-unquote discovered America. I think future shock. I think the change. The It's like, I always ask, what would happen if fucking aliens landed tomorrow? If aliens landed tomorrow and on television are fucking aliens, what would that do to all of us, to how we think, to how we think about each other? What would it do to our sanity collectively? If there's an alien on television, what would that do to our sanity? So in 1518, which is roughly 20 years after the fucking Portuguese coming back and going, the world's uh, the world's actually not flat, lads, because we... Do you know the way you thought the world was flat? We went around it in a circle and we found this new land and everything you've believed about reality, now we've flipped on its fucking head. You live on a ball, Right? The concept of the new world would have been massively shocking on top of this huge medieval trauma for the loss of one third of the population, the disappearance of villages, the fucking famines. Maybe it was, maybe everything was too much. Then you bring that into humour theory, the theory of the four humours. You, I'm contextual, I'm definitely contextualising. Like, if you're telling me there were plagues of dancing throughout the late medi- medieval period where people fucking died, right? People danced themselves to death. And then I'm looking at the artwork, the folklore, and I'm also seeing representations of the skeleton dancing, the dancing with death, that that's been represented in art. And possibly if you look at it within the theory of humours, that dancing was seen as something you could do to avoid pestilence to avoid death that it got people worked up and that's why this collective behavioural pandemic expressed itself as fucking dancing in Strasbourg in 1518 the dancing pandemic became so bad that um, like people became terrified of the idea of what if I catch dancing what if I catch the disease of dancing and they started to flock towards saints there's a saint called Saint Vitus. Saint Vitus is the, the patron saint of dancing. There's also a disease called Saint Vitus dance. You can get it off Robin Redbreasts, strangely enough, where I, it's, it's a disease that it, it, when people get it, it, and this is an actual disease now, when people get this disease, they move in ways that look like a dance, so the disease was called Saint Vitus dance. Now, Saint Vitus dance the disease, that's completely different to the 1518 pandemic of dancing that was killing people. So in Strasbourg, they couldn't do anything about the people dancing. People were dropping dead in the streets. So what the authorities in Strasbourg did is they figured the only way to the only way to prevent the dancing was to 
encourage people to dance more. So they started setting up in the town square like a stage with a band and encouraged, encouraged everyone to start fucking dancing. So now you had voluntary dancers and people suffering from a disease of dancing. And so dancing plagues continued to be a thing up until about the 1700s where they disappeared probably with the fucking enlightenment. Ch- change in, in medicine and science and knowledge just probably shifted culture to the point where, where dancing was no longer seen as a response to environmental stress. But th- th- what fascinates me about it, th- those humans, the humans in the 15th, in the 1200s, 1300s, the, the 1518th, they're the same humans as me and you. The exact same biologically. So what is the new dancing pandemic? What is the new behaviour that spreads like a virus? Do you know what I mean? And I don't know how I ended up on, on this. I'm thinking about something about the lads in Limerick in 2006 in a nightclub drinking gold because the gold slits your throat and lets in alcohol. There's a powerful... There's a beautiful irrationality to that. It makes no fucking sense. It's fucking ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Buy this drink. There's gold in it. It cuts your throat. It gets you wrecked. But we all did it. I did it. I'm smart. I bought shots of this drink. Because other people were doing it. Even though I knew it was stupid and silly. I did it. And... No one was injuring themselves, but that little part of the brain that listens to a piece of information that's utterly ridiculous, that in this time of excess of the Celtic tiger, that people should be drinking gold, is that the same little part of the brain that caused mass deaths through dancing pandemics in the late medieval period? So that's that's this week's podcast. That's this week's podcast. Um, I don't know, was it coherent or was it a ramble? Like I said, I, I don't have a, a consistent hot take for this one. I just have a, a collection of thoughts that intrigue me. You know, a collection of thoughts that intrigue me and the connection between artistic depictions of dancing skeletons and then dancing pandemics at the same time, they have to be culturally connected. They have to be culturally connected. So I'll talk to you next week. Don't know what's going to happen next week, but uh, mind yourself, have fun, have compassion. Let me know what you want out of a podcast. My job right now is to distract you. That's what I want to do. I want distracting entertainment. If you want mental health podcasts, let me know. But... Right now you're in lockdown. You've a lot of time in your hands. So I'm here to give you an hour away from all that shit where you can think about dancing plagues of the 1500s. Enjoy yourself. Yort.